Hi, it's Will again. Last time we were here, I had just taken off on the very first leg of my very first Iditarod, one of the longest sled dog races in the world. Me and my team of 14 dogs, aka my best friends, recorded some audio about halfway into that very first run. I rambled about a lot of things. My poor spouse, Sean, who is very logical, is at wit's end trying to keep track of all these conversations, and I got passed by several teams. For that first run, I stuck to my game plan pretty tightly. Shortly after the recording I made, my team and I passed through Yetna Station, the first sort of checkpoint of the race. It's a sort of checkpoint because there are no drop bags there. Drop bags are the bags that are flown ahead of teams down the trail. There is no way a sled could carry the amount of food that sled dogs eat during a race like this. We packed and mailed about 1,200 pounds for this race, and we were very much on the light side of what folks normally pack. Most of that weight is kibble and meat. The dogs eat around 10,000 calories a day while they race. Other supplies that are sent in drop bags are things like blankets to make the dogs cozy at the checkpoints while they rest, human meals and snacks, batteries, gloves, vet supplies, and much more. While Yetna Station did not have bags, it did provide straw and heat, H-E-E-T, better known as antifreeze. We burned that in specially made cookers to melt snow and boil water for the dog's food. It's an essential component of long-distance mushing. The Iditarod provides heat along the whole trail, including Yetna. As my race plan dictated, I grabbed both straw and heat in Yetna. I was a little surprised to see how close to the start Yetna was. It registered on my GPS as only 40 miles or so from the start line. According to what the race had told us, it ought to have been about 50 miles. I wondered if Skwetna, the first official actual checkpoint, would really be 72 miles as it was predicted to be. Regardless, my race plan called for me to camp around or just after 50 miles. I debated continuing all the way to Skwetna. I talked in the first recording about how warm the first day was, but by the time I hit Yetna, the sun was starting to set and the temperature was dropping. The dogs were much happier to have some cooler weather and were starting to move well. A 72-mile run wouldn't be entirely out of their wheelhouse, but the whole reason for my plan to camp before Skwetna was to avoid the notorious hullabaloo that happens with the whole field of mushers camped at the first checkpoint. I wanted the dogs to get a nice rest. Plus, with COVID restrictions in place, it sounded like I'd be sleeping next to my sled either way. I'd much rather do that in a camping setting, alone on the side of the trail, versus a checkpoint where teams would be coming and going with a lot of commotion. One of the key elements of strategy of a race like the Iditarod is determining when and where to rest, and for how long. I had laid out my race plan. It was a slightly ballsy strategy. I was aiming to do a lot of long runs. The reason I was aiming for this was the performance of the team this season and what they seemed to be excelling at. It was the long runs where they were shining, so I decided to take the best advantage of that that I could. My speed would be consistent if I was lucky. I aimed for 8-9 to nine miles per hour the whole race. On our first run, it was a little less than that because of the sunny slog through the middle of the day. The only other major factor was seeing how long to rest. My plan aimed for 4-6 and six hour rests. The first rest we'd take would be a four-hour rest at our 50-mile camp. It had gotten dark by the time we found a place to camp, just around 50 miles. We were able to snag a nice pull-off made by a snow machine that veered off the trail. I started my clock for the countdown of when we'd leave. During a break, the dogs rest and eat, but the musher works. This is the time that the musher becomes actually useful to the team. 
I did my best to maintain efficiency as I pulled off dog booties, laid out straw for the dogs to bed down on, put coats on everyone so they'd stay warm and snugly, and prepared and fed dinner to the dogs. I put one of my own vacuum-sealed meals, I think it was a calzone, into the water as it heated up and scarfed down my own dinner between chores. I checked everyone's feet meticulously, noting previously known sores or concerns. Generally, everyone looked good. Belle and Cassidy had sore feet, so I treated them with special ointments. Taking care of the dog's feet is one of the number one most important parts of a long race like this. I was able to get my work done with enough time to get an hour of sleep myself. It was somewhere around 11 p.m. or midnight by the time I laid down, and I set my phone alarm for one hour with my watch as a backup. I pulled off my boots and crawled into my negative 40 sleeping bag. My thermometer said it was about negative 11. I fell asleep almost immediately. I woke up on time and started my pre-exit chores. Part of what I had to do was shorten the gang line. I had set up the gang line, which connects all the dogs together, with two open spots, but sometimes the team didn't seem to run as well with the extra space. So I decided to take a section out. The best way to do that was from the front. I removed the leader section and shuffled dogs around. I decided that sisters Belle and Aurora would be a good choice to lead the next leg. I switched them to be next to each other and connected them to a part of the line further back as I removed one section of the gang line to make the setup have no extra spaces anymore. As I made the final touch to the new configuration, Aurora and Belle decided that this was the signal to go and headed down the trail. Somehow I had connected them to each other but not to anything else. Sometimes this happens with sled dogs and every time I've seen it, the dogs go running off side by side like they are in the team but the team is just them. That's what the two sisters did. Part of the training that we do in the summer is called free play, where we let the dogs run loose and play with each other. This is a very important component of training for a lot of reasons, but this particular situation is a good example. I wasn't worried that the dogs would disappear. I was confident they'd be back once they realized the rest of the pack hadn't gone with them down the trail. I had to affix the line back down in front so that the rest of the team wouldn't get tangled. I kept looking down the dark trail to see if Aurora and Belle were on the way back yet, but I didn't see them. I was calling for them every now and then, whistling happily to let them know where I was, but not chasing them. I started to feel nervous that they'd gotten it in their heads to get to the next checkpoint, or that something else was happening around the bend in the trail. Just as I was about to give up, the two goofy sisters came careening back down the trail as if to say, Where the heck are you? Let's go! They didn't come towards the camping team, but took the main trail, running by us, towards the start line, almost showing off. Suddenly. Behind my sled, I saw a light. A musher was coming, and now Aurora and Belle were running right at the oncoming team. I dove off our snow machine track where we were camping and into the deep snow between there and the trail. With three huge steps, I made it to the trail and, calling both happily and frantically, managed to convince Aurora and Belle to come say hi. I snatched them off the trail just as the other team shuttled by. Whoops! I got Aurora and Belle, who were both very proud of themselves, back into the team. I think I put them back in lead. Heck, they had already scouted out a lot of the trail. I bootied the dogs, which is another of the most important jobs of a musher. We hit the trail in the dark, and only 12 miles later, we were in Skwetna. We were only at mile 61. The leap from 61 miles to 72 miles is a bit bigger than you might think, especially since I didn't want to stop in Skwetna. Had I known the checkpoint was only at mile 60, I would have planned to camp just after Skwetna. It would have meant I could have carried less in my sled on the way to our first camp, 
because I would have been able to just grab supplies from my drop bags from Squetna itself. My plan called for me to grab supplies there and straw and to camp a few miles outside of Finger Lake. Since Squetna was earlier than expected, if Finger Lake was at the projected mile marker, it would mean carrying straw at least 10 miles further than I expected. I was also already learning that without a tail dragger, in other words, a section of the sled behind where I stand on the runners, which a lot of mushers use as a seat, carrying straw was difficult at best. I knew from past races that the climb up to Finger Lake was more technical than river trails. All of this information flashed through my brain as I pulled into the checkpoint of Squetna. The checkers were happy to see me and announced that I was the last musher in. That stung my pride a little bit, and I had to remind myself that I was sticking to my plan, and that of course I was the last musher in, having been passed quite a bit and having camped before the checkpoint. I think they thought I was staying, but I let them know that I was passing through. I was happy to see that there were other mushers in the checkpoint, which meant once I passed, I wouldn't be holding up the rear. The checkers directed me to the drop bags. I loaded up the stuff I'd need for the next two runs. Finger Lake was like Yetna. There would be no drop bags there. That meant I had to carry enough food for two stops, plus the runs in between, at least according to my race plan. I evaluated quickly as I loaded up my sled with dog food. It was feeling rapidly clear that carrying straw to camp before Finger Lake seemed like it was going to be a pain. I confirmed with the checkers. Even though there wouldn't be drop bags at Finger Lake, they'd have straw and heat, right? The checkers confirmed it and I adjusted my plan. I'd go all the way to Finger Lake and make my campsite there. That way, I wouldn't be carrying straw through the technical sections. Then I'd continue to Rainy Pass, which was part of my plan already. The big change would be stopping in Finger Lake. With my sled loaded up with supplies, utilizing the straw right where it was at was going to be the best move for me now. I closed my sled and thanked the volunteers at Squetna and headed off down the trail. The mush from Squetna to Finger Lake was quicker than I expected. I had run it a few times during the Northern Lights 300, and in that race this leg had felt like a real climb. The route may have been slightly different than what I'd done before, or the dogs may have just been so conditioned to climbing from the season that they didn't slow at all, but this time I barely noticed a climb. Once we got to where I was looking for Finger Lake itself, I kept expecting the checkpoint around every corner. The checkpoint sits on the other end of a lake that you emerge onto out of a narrow band of trees. Every band of trees we passed, I was sure I would see Finger Lake Winter Lodge, but to no avail. It was only when I had more or less given up expecting to see the checkpoint at all that we crossed onto the lake and saw the checkpoint ahead of us. I was surprised to see a lot of teams and tents. Since there were not going to be drop bags, I expected that the checkpoint itself would be very sparse. Instead, there was a full contingent of vets and a lot of mushers still resting. The dogs started barking excitedly, knowing that the teams and tents meant a breakfast and a nap. We checked in and were parked next to two other rookies. I planned to be there for just a short four-hour rest. There were a few dogs who were ready for some TLC. Cassidy was feeling a little sore, and I wanted to go over everyone's feet even more closely. With full daylight, I figured I wouldn't sleep, and instead spent my time repacking my sled and checking to make sure my various technical things were working. I spoke with an Anchorage Daily News reporter, Zachariah Hughes, who started the Iditapod podcast. I also talked with my neighboring rookies. When Chad Stoddard, a rookie who was running a team of Lance Mackey's dogs, was ready to take off, was ready to take off, he asked me to stand on his brakes so that the team wouldn't leave without him. 
This recording starts as I am standing on his brake. We're at Finger Lake and I'm standing on the brake of Chad Stoddard, who is running Lance Mackey's team. Um, and he's booty and his dogs are a strong team, so he asked if I could stand on the brake. So this is the sound of a checkpoint. One noisy dog. Of <laughs> that musher is picking up their stuff to pass through, so that's why that dog is ready to go. They probably just camped not far away. Pretty soon Chad's team's going to start getting noisy because they'll know it's time to go. making notes about the vet condition of the dogs. And then it's going to be time to get going because I'm hoping to leave at noon and it's 1041 right now. I'm basically going to pick up my stuff, pack my sled, and hopefully hit the road. It's going to probably take me a minute though. I didn't record on my last run. It was cold. I was really tired. I definitely fell asleep a lot. The sunlight will help. Yeah. Howdy. How's it going? Oh yeah, it was true. Couldn't be prettier, right? Yeah. Hey Chad, I didn't understand when they were saying about the bags on the way back through. Are we allowed to access our other bags on the way back through? Um, you know, I'm not sure. I like, I couldn't understand what they were saying about that. Yeah, we don't have to check out. I keep thinking we do, but we don't. So you just take off? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. You can tell them who I was. <laughs> who you were. Tell your story. <laughs> How's it going so far? Good, man. How are you? Good. Yeah. It's such a beautiful day. I hope I hope we got in the shade. Yeah, I'm not gonna register that it's the Iditarod until like maybe when we're done. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they're so built.
the next one we have to do is the happy river steps, which is one of the big obstacles of the race, so we'll see what it's like. Hopefully not too crazy. Switching muscles there, right? Looking like him now. You can have a little girl. <laughs> have a good run. I brought ice cream. Oh, nice. I'm so excited. I got like some really fancy stuff from Cold Stone. <laughs> Do you want one? I have some extras. I haven't. <laughs> Alright, well, if you see me down the trail, I mean, I packed a ton. <laughs> kind of like grade school when you're like trading. <laughs> I got peanut butter and jelly. What do you have? Gosh, I just get food so that. Yeah, that's why I've been holding off. I don't want to increase that. But I have a terrible time eating, so. I just have to force myself to eat right when I get it. Yeah. I did just have a calzone that Sean, my spouse, made. It was really good. A little Gatorade flavored. <laughs> All right. Time. 
Pick up a show on the road. One of the few things I forgot was a uh, was my water bottle. Got your water bottle? Yeah. I mean, I have like bottled water that I sent ahead, but. Oh, is that what I meant to Yeah. Well, as long as you got, I guess this goes. I mean. Do you have Gatorade and then Gatorade? I've got, I've got bottled water and Gatorade. It's like not the end of the world. I don't drink. Is that like a sauce you could put in or something? Say that one more time. Keep it a little longer at least. Oh yeah. Try one of these. It's fish and pumpkin. Mmm, delicious. Delicious. Yum. Delicious. Delicious. so cute. Is it you? Are you also so cute? How about you? Are you cute? Who do you want to lead with, buddy? Mm, good job. Another one? Did you like that? Here you go. Here you can have two. Gross. Throw in some of this uh, stuff where you want any of it. M&M's, Chips Ahoy, Energy Thing, Coffee. Oh man, I think I'm good. Thank you, bud. No worries. I knew I was gonna start jettisoning stuff, but such is life.
completely forgot I'm recording. Oh, maybe I'll cut some pieces from this and make it interesting. I guess we'll see. Come back next week to hear a recording from the trail between Finger Lake and Rainy Pass, one of the more notoriously technical sections of trail. This is where the Happy River steps are, and also my favorite section of the race this year. Subscribe to Onward and Other Directions on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. You can find me on Twitter at ataokennel, or check out our website at ataokennel.com. See you next time. Onward.